Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Hauk, and thanks for joining me, guys. As always, I appreciate your time, and I love that I get to hang out with you guys once a week to do these podcasts. So today's guest is Jason Phillips. He is an amazing man. He is an expert in nutrition. He's also a new father, just had a baby a week ago, beautiful baby girl. So we talk about that in today's conversation. We also dive into his battle with anorexia. We talk about different strategies for nutrition depending on your goals. So if you have aesthetic goals or you have performance goals or longevity goals, how nutrition should be structured depending on those unique goals. We dive into pre and post-workout nutrition his thoughts on veganism for performance athletes, how to adjust your nutrition for shift work, and his kick-ass nutrition coaching certification that he created all about counting macros and optimizing hormones. So that's today's episode in a nutshell. I hope you guys enjoy it and here we go. So hey Jason, welcome to the podcast. First off, congratulations on your new baby girl. She is so beautiful. How's daddy life? (laughs) Daddy life is a little bit sleepless, but absolutely amazing. Uh, I am, it's amazing. So this is my first. My wife has three kids, but this is my first. And so it's amazing how quickly they just like have you wrapped around their finger. I mean, like the the very first night, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, our uh, our little guy is two. He turned two in uh, in December, so it's only going to get better oh, cool. as, as she goes through all the stages and all the things that she's going to learn over the next couple of years. Like, it's just oh, yeah. remarkable watching them grow and discover and become curious, and oh, it's the best. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, every little thing just already gets me, so I can't wait to see, like, what's in store. Yeah, I remember those like first few days, even just to see like the glimpse of the eyes open or like to see the cutest little smirk on the face. It just lights up your entire day. So. Oh my goodness. I swear there's times like where she's smiling and I'm like, I know you're not like it's, it's too early, <laughs> but it's so cool. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Jason. So we got tons of great nutrition questions from our audience. But before we get into those, let's go back to the beginning of your journey in fitness. So how did you get started? So as a male in the space, I like to say uh, my journey is is atypical. Um, I actually found fitness via an eating disorder. You know, so growing up, I wanted nothing to do with anything that resembled physical fitness. I mean, I was an athlete. I played soccer. Then I transitioned to playing golf. And, you know, I just never wanted to do strength conditioning. I I just never really cared for it. And I definitely didn't care for eating healthy. Like when I I was referenced, I was like the all-American diet, like hot dogs, mac and cheese, chicken fingers, pizza, like Anything unhealthy, I ate it, and if it resembled any, like, vegetable, I definitely didn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I um, at the age of 18, I had an eating disorder and uh, was anorexic and was 118 pounds. And fortunately for me, you know, overcame that and really decided right then and there that, you know, what, what kind of overcoming anorexia and what nutrition had done for me was going to be my vehicle to now pay it forward to the world and to help literally every single person I come in contact with. And, and I've, uh, I've tried to maintain that from, from that very day, and I try to maintain it today. Mm-hmm. Now, do you remember what triggered the eating disorder for you? So for me, it was, you know, I got approached to do some modeling for Abercrombie & Fitch. 
So what 18-year-old boy doesn't want to model for Abercrombie & Fitch, especially back in 2002? And so, and, and I'll never forget, as I was walking out of the store, uh, you know, the woman says to me, she says, hey, like when you when you send me pictures, and by woman, I mean like the modeling recruit. So while I was in a store, the modeling recruit um, had said to me, hey, you know, like we'd love to have you up to New York and model for the catalog and blah, blah, blah. And on my way out, she was like, hey, like when you send me pictures, make sure you send me pictures of your abs. And I just remember being petrified. I was like, oh my God, like what are abs? Like those are things of those really big, muscly guys the magazines have like mm -hmm. i certainly don't have them i eat taco bell like every day of my life i'm a golfer golfers mm -hmm. certainly don't have abs and you know so i started asking around and was like how do how do i get abs and you know it was my pediatrician at the time that actually told me hey you know like read some magazines like it's all about nutrition and you know here i am today i, I would say he's largely correct and but at the time all of the education all the media was was so poor and it was very much don't eat this, don't eat that. And, and there was really no advice as to what to do properly. Uh, it was just a lot of fear mongering. And unfortunately for me, that led to not eating and, and over exercising and, and full blown anorexia. And how did you overcome it? So I was really lucky, you know, at the time, one thing anorexia did to me was it really crushed my hormone levels. And so I couldn't hold a job where I had to work after two o'clock because right around two, two thirty every day. I would literally shut down. You know, there's people that are like, I need to take a nap. Like, no, I didn't just like need to. Like, I absolutely with everything in me had to be laying down or I would fall asleep standing up. It was pretty pathetic, to be honest. So the job that I did get that I could work was I was opening up the local Gold's gym and I would work from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. It was perfect. I was awake at those hours. It wasn't interfering with my awful like afternoon nap. You know, while I was there, one of the trainers kind of took notice as to what I was doing and, you know, always kind of tried to give me some advice. But one day there was a bodybuilder that walked in and I'd always seen him and he was prepping for a competition. And I was like, man, like that's that's what I want to look like. You know, uh, I told her, I told the trainer this one day and she was like, oh, well, you know, I, I do his nutrition and I do his training. And I was like, well, can you do my nutrition and training? And she's like, yeah, of course. And she's like, well, so can you, uh, what I need you to do is go home and eat 4,000 calories. And, you know, this is before the days of my fitness pal. So went home and went to Barnes and Noble, bought a calorie counting book and made a 4,000 calorie meal plan and started eating it every single day. And sure enough, like three weeks later, I looked in the, looked in the mirror and I wasn't fat. And so I, I started to begin this trusting relationship with food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then did you start to gain muscle pretty quickly because you were already relatively lean from the eating disorder? <sighs> I was definitely lean, but I, I wouldn't say I gained muscle very quickly. Um, so like I said, my testosterone levels were pretty compromised. So I didn't have a ton of like anabolic hormone in me. I definitely felt better. I definitely probably put on a little bit. I probably filled out glycogen more than anything. But I, I don't think I put on anything significant for quite some time. Actually, it wasn't until I think that I addressed the hormone levels where I got on HRT that I really started noticing some gains in the gym. Hmm. Interesting. In terms of the goals of many of our listeners, we kind of have a wide variety of things that people are interested in. So let's dive deep into all of those, Jason. So how would you say that the nutritional approach should change depending on somebody's specific goals? So let's go into aesthetics first. I'm, I'm going to make a really gross assumption, but when you say aesthetics, I'm going to assume that we mean fat loss. Yeah, I would say fat loss and seeing definition within the body. Yeah. So, I mean, the fundamentals of, of all things nutrition related, and this goes outside of aesthetics, but I think the very bare bones fundamental of everything is it's stress and adaptation, right? Like we're constantly imposing stressors on our body 
in pursuit of an adaptation. And so, you know, when we go train, we're intentionally creating stress via overload or, you know, via tension, typically with a, with the goal in mind of hypertrophy, you know. And so from the nutritional side, you know, the stressor we place is we intentionally mildly under recover, right? We give ourselves just a slight calorie deficit. Ideally, the adaptation is that our body burns fat as fuel, uh, which results in that leaner physique. Now, what I really see right now is the biggest problem manifested today is that, you know, training modalities in Western culture are probably at their highest intensity ever. And, you know, CrossFit is super popular. And, you know, even some of CrossFit's modalities have, have carried over into like global gym type atmospheres. And so you're seeing people really have an abundance of stress. So we're talking like, you know, let's just say they do CrossFit or let's just say they do a, a quote unquote Metcon at their gym, but they're also caffeinating two, three times a day. They're only sleeping four hours and they work a very strenuous job. That's a really significant amount of stress. And typically for most people, that will not yield the aesthetics that they're looking for. So if we're talking like the bare bones of aesthetic nutrition, we're talking about creating that deficit, but it has to be a stress that your body can create the adaptation to. If it's too excessive of a stressor, your body will actually go the opposite way. It will go into a survival mode and this is where we're seeing a lot of like the metabolic adaptations that are so popular and that are running so rampant in society today. Mm-hmm. And when you say metabolic adaptation, you're talking about fat loss stalls and talking about people needing to take time to reverse diet. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So like, like we're seeing a lot of, uh, yeah, just like you said, I mean, I think that a lot of people like Western culture has, we, we feel like the, the sum is good is better type of option. So if we say, hey, let's put you in a calorie deficit. Well, then, you know, an even bigger calorie deficit will expedite things. Or, hey, if one hour of cardio is good, why not three hours to expedite the process? And really, all we end up seeing is the body creates those adaptations. And so, you know, we all have a set point or, you know, there's a, a theory that we all have set point. I think that some people may better understand that to be homeostasis. You know, we have this homeostatic balance that our body always fights to achieve. Well, for most functioning individuals, let's let's arbitrarily say that's 2,000 calories. It'll, it'll be plus or minus some. But so many people have tried to diet down on these 1,200 calorie diets or 1,000 calorie diets, and they've done them for so long that the body has actually adapted to that and it's created its new homeostatic balance at that like 1,000 or 1,200 calories. So now all of a sudden you give them a reasonable deficit, let's call it 1,600, 1,700 calories, and that is perceived as a surplus by the body, which just ultimately ends up yielding itself in weight gain or, you know, fat gain and, and sometimes lethargy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if somebody comes to you and they have aesthetics goals. What would you say is that starting point when they start working with you then, Jason? So I think that every conversation, I'm sorry, every working relationship should always begin with a conversation. You know, I, I think that the biggest problem in our industry today is that so many people go to a coach. The coach takes one look at them. They don't ask about their dietary history, their metabolic history, their training history, their training age, their likes, their dislikes, the psychology. They don't ask about the results with previous diets. And instead, they're just like, okay, great. Like, hand me, you know, hand over two, three hundred bucks. Here's your diet. Like, good luck. Yeah. And, and clearly that shows uh, just absolutely no credence to the word coaching, which is I'm obviously huge on the word coaching, but it really is just doing a gross injustice to the individual nature as to what a diet should be. And, you know, it, it really frustrates me to be quite honest. It's the mm-hmm. it's probably the one thing I hate most about our industry. But, you know, so I think that when somebody comes to me and they say, this is what I want to do. Great. Um, number one, it's like, you know, let's have a conversation. Why do you want to do that? Like, what does that mean? Cause you know, if you want to lose 10 pounds and I 
I could magically snap my fingers and, and just drop the scale 10 pounds, but you look the exact same way you look. Are you really happy? The answer is typically no. Okay, great. So you want to lose fat. You want to look a different way. Great. So let's actually redefine your goals. You want to change your appearance. Great. Let's quantify that from an appearance standpoint, not necessarily a number on the scale because we all know how that number on the scale thing goes, right? It could go, mm -hmm. go 10 ways from Sunday. Then it's like, great. Well, what have you tried in the past? Like, what's worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? You know, if all of a sudden I get a food recall and you're only eating 800 calories and I look at your intake form and you're like, well, I've tried the isogenic cleanse and I've tried the master cleanse and then I tried keto and then I tried fasting and it's like, okay, great. Like those are all major red flags that there might be some pre-existing metabolic adaptations that I'm not even aware of yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's going to send me down other rabbit holes. So I think without a proper intake and without really understanding where your client is, you can't get to work. So for me, it's always a massive getting to know you type process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that's the part at the beginning that even clients starts to realize about themselves, because I think sometimes too, they don't even have the self-awareness of all of the things that are going wrong. But that intake form or that conversation with them and you start asking them questions and then they go, hmm, oh, yeah, maybe you're right about all of these things that they're not aware about. I think that even reverse dieting is a new term and a lot of people, oh, sure. maybe even listeners aren't even familiar with it. So let's let's talk a little bit more about that, Jason. What is reverse yep. dieting? So in essence, reverse dieting is just trying to take somebody from, I always call it an absolute calorie deficit. I kind of took that, uh, I took the nomenclature from Scott Abel. Um, he used to refer to relative and absolute calorie deficits and getting them back to homeostatic balance and metabolic function. And so the you know, when you're in a big calorie deficit, we know that there's going to be a decline in metabolic hormones. Research has shown it. Uh, in fact, they did it to the extreme, right? And so there's a study out there. It's usually referenced as the Minnesota starvation study. And so they took a group of individuals. They basically starved them. They observed what happened, metabolically speaking, in a severe caloric restriction. We saw downregulation in all sorts of hormone levels, most notably the metabolic hormones, leptin, ghrelin, peptide YY, T4, T3 conversion. But when they actually restored caloric maintenance over a period of time, they reobserved those metabolic markers and they saw that they had all returned to normal. So the theory behind reverse dieting is, well, if we can bring your calories up, get you back to maintenance calories and have you there for a set number of weeks or you know set period of time, that you will restore metabolic function. You're leptin and ghrelin levels will come back up and you know it you will quote unquote function normally again that's the thesis behind reverse dieting i will say in western culture i have absolutely seen that applied more so in the physique industry however i'm starting to see metabolic adaptations mixed with hpa axis dysfunctions and i think that the two combined are a really really gnarly scenario that a lot of people are having a much harder time recovering from. And so I actually had a really good conversation with uh, Mike Matthews about this. And he's like, well, dude, like if you're metabolically adapted, that means that you can definitely recover. Like Minnesota starvation study proves it. And I said, yes, it does. Assuming that hormone levels were never impacted. The problem is what we're seeing today is people are not only going to these crazy 1,000 and 1,200 calorie diets, but they're doing so while doing things like CrossFit, while doing things like Spartan and warrior and you know ultra marathons because that's the new rage like you know high intensities is all is all things fitness right now and so when you're doing that you're also concurrently giving yourself hpa axis dysfunction um which you know some people may know as like adrenal fatigue um or things like that and i think that the the rate of recovery from metabolic adaptations with a compromised hormone profile is far less 
and it's far more difficult to achieve. Mm -hmm. Now, in relation to that, I know that you just put out a book all about this. So can you tell me more about that, Jason? About the book itself? Yeah, about the book itself, just in case somebody wants to wants to check it out. Yeah, so we have uh, we did just release the book, Undo the Damage, uh, Reverse Dieting Made Easy, and it was actually authored by the very first coach I ever hired in my business. Her name is Brandy Wong, and so Brandy has worked with so many reverse dieting cases, and really has become a master of all things reverse dieting. And, and I'll you know I'll say this arbitrarily speaking, you know, it's a very simple concept: restore caloric maintenance, fix your metabolism, and then resume dieting. However, what most quote-unquote experts overlook is there's so many components that come into that. Like, how is your training affecting your reverse dieting process? How is your lifestyle affecting your reverse dieting process? How is your psychology affecting your reverse dieting process? And that's the piece that so many people are missing out on. Brandy really goes into, you know, in depth. And, uh, and you know, a lot of people are like, well, how, how do fast do I increase my calories? How do I know when I'm at maintenance? You know, is it a scale thing? And, And so those are all things that we go into in the book. You know, we talk about different biofeedback markers you should look at. We do talk about what the scales should do. We talk about some possible expectations during your reverse scenario. Um, So it's really in-depth. It's very user-friendly. You know, everything we do with with both of my companies, with IN3 and NCI, is I believe knowledge is really, really cool. And I think that there's a lot of great information out there. But I think it's the application of knowledge that has really begun to set us apart. I think that we try to take people and not only help them understand what they're doing, but why they're doing it, how they should be doing it, and then how to move forward from there. So definitely super cool. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put a link for that in the show notes, guys. That'd be amazing. Excellent. That'd be amazing. So just to expand then, what are some signs that it's time to start a reverse diet? So yeah, a lot of things like when you're when you're tinkering on metabolic adaptation, you know, if you know you're in a calorie deficit, yet you're losing your hunger response. That's probably one of the biggest ones, right? Um, you know, theoretically, if you're if you're in a calorie deficit, you should have adequate levels of leptin and ghrelin. You know, that hunger should be nice and strong um, because it should be your telling you, hey, feed me, get me back up to set point, get me back to homeostasis. You know, when that starts to dissipate, your body is now beginning to adapt. It's showing you your homeostasis and that you don't need any any more food. You know, another would be like, you feel like you're cold all the time, uh, mood, energy, mid-afternoon crashes, uh, lack of sex drive is one. Uh, and then obviously performance in the gym, you know, performance out of the blue just takes a hit. You know, that's definitely one as well. But you know, collectively, when we look at that, that's kind of the physiology of what's happening in your body. And so we always reference that as an individual's biofeedback. Uh, you know, there's there's physical data and there's physiological data. I'm a very big proponent of maximizing an individual's physiological data, you know, to to really move them forward physically. Mm-hmm. And those all sound like some pretty common things that fitness competitors would be feeling, especially in the final weeks of prep. For so- sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, which actually leads me to the next question. So I'm currently yeah. nine weeks out from my show, but we had some interesting questions in the bodybuilding space that I wanted to yeah. talk about. So w- one thing I wanted to talk about that kind of ties into this is you made an interesting post on Instagram that said something about the open and something about your abs not matter. <laughs> so, yep. so loved it. Totally awesome. But I want to talk about that. So how do we balance aesthetics and performance and set up your nutrition so that you can either have both or maybe you can't have both, which is maybe yeah. what your Instagram was saying. It's number one. I love it because it, it does become so controversial, right? Which I think is great. I think it, we need to we need to get people thinking more um, instead of just the myopic assumption that, 
you know, a diet fuels both because it really doesn't. I think that ultimately an individual can have both. I don't think they can have the best of both. And they certainly cannot attempt to fuel both at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very big on what I call nutritional periodization, right? And so if we went in the strength conditioning world, we would see every strength program is periodized. You know, football players in season are not lifting any more than like two days a week. You know, they're obviously, they're, they're coming out of their game. They're doing some full body restoration. They might get one or two serious workouts in, but pretty much everything they're doing is sports specific, right? They're focusing on practice, like honing in their skills. Then they go into off season. It's like full body restoration, total body movement, um, restoring any kind of like restrictions or impingements. Then they go into full in off season mode, which is where they do tons of lifting, right? And, and uh, it's kind of like their speed, like their skill acquisition, their strength acquisition, any body composition changes that need to be made. And then obviously as a season rolls around, they shift into preseason and, and they begin doing more sports specific work. Well, each one of those things has a different energy system demand and a different fuel system demand. So, you know, when you're in season, I don't give a shit what your abs look like. Like Tom Brady doesn't win the Super Bowl because he has the best abs. Like he wins because he throws the most number of super uh, of touchdowns. Right. And and no athlete, to my knowledge, outside of physique athletes are awarded their placing based on what their abs look like. And so in CrossFit, it's really sexy for people to be like, oh, like, you know, and and they wear like no clothes. Right. Like the girls wear like zero clothes. Um, The guys love to work out shirtless. So they want to show off their body. But, you know, they don't get on the podium because of how they look. And and unfortunately, so many I'll call them nutritionists, but I'll say it with air quotes because I don't really believe they're masters of the craft. But so many of them are like pushing these very calorically restricted diets in pursuit of cosmetics when it's an aesthetic world, you know, and and then it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like now all of a sudden you're living in a world where stress is too abundant. Are you really even facilitating the ability to adapt to the training stimulus? So are you actually becoming a better athlete? I just think it's a really vicious rabbit hole. And so, you know, the post was, well, hey, the open's coming. Your diet right now should be set up on two things, fuel and recovery. And that's it. Right. You want to go to regionals. If you want to go to the CrossFit Games, your whole goal, facilitate recovery, be ready to train the next session. Now, if that gives you abs, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Uh, However, once the season is over, once you go through a brief like hormone slash GI restoration phase, then it's totally free game to begin focusing on your cosmetics. You can mitigate your training volume in the off season and not have it be too CNS or physically intensive so that a calorie deficit does not crush your ability to adapt to future stimuli, right? And so if you're actually mitigating everything properly, then the off-season becomes a body composition-related time or what I call strength and skill acquisition. And then, obviously, you get the preseason, you do more sports-specific work, your carbohydrates back up because that's a preferred fuel source. All of a sudden, by next year's open, you look better because you're carrying the cosmetics from the off-season, but you've got the appropriate amount of fuel. And so if done properly, year in, year out, you're looking better and you're performing better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, in terms of customizing the ratios for people that are maybe wanting to focus on aesthetics or to focus on performance in the seasons that you just mentioned, how does the distribution of, of the nutrients come about? Like, for example, would at one point they want to be having more carbs or would at one point them, them to be having more protein or what's your approach in relation to that? Yeah. So the only absolute I can give you is that when they're in season, they need adequate carbs, right? And so what science would tell us is that when they're off season, if they're looking to make these cosmetic adaptations or they're looking for fat loss, 
then all science tells us is that assuming you're in a calorie deficit, or assuming protein intake is adequate, then the remaining nutrients, whether they're carbs or fats, really is indifferent. And it's relative to the individual and their preferences and what they know to be true to them. Um, I'm a great example of that. So like if you were to tell me I needed to lose fat, you know, right now because because of the popularity of keto, everybody would say, hey, you need to be low carbohydrate, higher fat. That would make me fat. Again, I'm not demonizing a low carbohydrate approach. I'm just saying relative to me, the individual, it would not work. That being said, even though CrossFit in season is fueled by carbohydrate, I have some athletes that off season, I do need to take them low carbohydrate to create the body comp changes that they want. So, you know, the only statement I can I can really give across the board as like this is the go-to is when you're doing your season, like when performance matters, you darn well better be eating enough carbohydrate. The rest of it, you kind of got to know yourself and know A, how many calories you should be taking in, B, how much protein you should be taking in, and then C, defer to like your own knowledge on the quantity of carbohydrates and fat. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, I agree for sure. What about your thoughts on veganism for performance athletes? Yeah, I mean, I think that right now where it's getting its popularity is a lack of inflammation. So I think that if you were to actually go out and if you were to look at the people who have benefited from a vegan approach in their sport, you would most likely see that it first comes from a either a reduction in overall calories where they were just eating too much food or they're reducing a ton of inflammation. So like MMA fighters where they're constantly inflamed. Sure, they definitely benefit at times from a vegan-based approach. I wouldn't say totally vegan. You know, even NBA players at time, like long, grueling season, they initially switch over, they feel great. Now, the reason I think people feel good when they switch over, though, even in the absence of adequate fuel, is you got to remember, if you've been fueling adequately, you're also maintaining a positive cortisol curve in your body. When you, you could essentially go to fasting and you would still, for a short period of time, perform very, very well. And I'm not talking about intermittent fasting where you eat eight hours a day. I'm talking about like truly fasted, like two, three days at a time. And you'd still perform just fine because your body actually has the core to go out and function really well. The problem is when that cortisol goes, there's not recovery from a vegan diet. So again, it comes down to goals, right? We've talked a lot about performance and aesthetics, but I think there's a a new classification of dietary goals that I call it longevity. Um, And I think you're starting to see longevity come into all sets of goals. But, um, you know, the longevity-based approach Absolutely, I would say vegan works great because again, uh, you know, we're we're starting to see all the studies linked to if you keep inflammation at bay, then you're going to live longer. Well, what does the vegan diet do? It keeps inflammation down. So um, I would say there's a lot of benefit there. Mm-hmm. And what's the detriment then in terms of the recovery that you just mentioned, Jason? Well, the the reality is there's not enough uh, there's not enough protein, right? Um, which is which is typically the the big piece, and then most vegan diets. I don't want to demonize the diet itself because there's obviously plenty of an approach. Most become um, not enough calorie, right? They're very hypocaloric. That being said, if people are getting in enough calories, they're typically getting in plenty of carbohydrates because if you're not eating protein, you're eating carbs and fat. So people are adding enough fuel. Um, that being said, anybody doing you know tons of distance training. Uh, you know, the studies coming out now are starting to show, you know, a little more clarity on on quantity of protein. Um, so in terms of maintaining skeletal muscle, which we know is super important to overall metabolism, even resting metabolic rate, you know, we're just seeing a decrement there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about supplementing then with protein powder to make up the difference? Yep. So and that's where I would say like if somebody and and to be fair, I work with two NBA athletes that are vegan. You know, I am a big fan of supplementing with proteins. I'm also a fan then of supplementing 
with very high-dosed essential aminos and branched-chain aminos. So what we see is that the amino acid spectrum that a vegan dieter is getting is not very broad, right? There's certain amino acids they're missing because they're just not getting in the animal proteins that may contain those aminos. So I'm a big fan at that point of supplementing not only with whey protein, but also um, you know, high-volume amino acids. So, um, But not just BCAAs like everybody likes to think. It's uh, the essential aminos as well. Gotcha. Now, what about people who are non-vegans then? Would you also have similar recommendations? So I don't ever think you're going to overdo it with aminos. I don't think they've studied like upper-level intakes of like leucine or, um, or even the essential aminos, right? So I am still a fan of using amino acids. I don't think leucine is what it was once believed to be. That being said, they're not overly expensive. There is definitely some benefit to to leucine ingestion. Um, And so I I am still a very big fan of supplementing with essential aminos and BCAAs at least once a day. Gotcha. Now, what about pre, intra, and post-workout nutrition? Do you have general recommendations that you could give for people in that department? I'm not, to be fair, I'm not a massive fan of intra workout. There's a lot of debate around it. Right now it's hot. Right around when Dr. Uh, you know, Dr. Joe Kozemski, the guy that really brought flexible yeah. dieting to the forefront, mm-hmm. right? Like when him and Lane were kind of coming to the forefront. Uh, if you study some of Lane's earliest food logs, this is how like neurotic I get. Like I study people's food logs to see like what's happening. But you know, it's just my OCD. He was doing uh, he was doing intro workout shakes, and then he stopped. And I actually found an article where he talked about it. Um, you know, there's definitely some question as to whether GLUT4 is upregulated or downregulated, and actually allows for you know that entrance into the cell. So I'm personally not sold on intro workout you know nutrition. That being said, pre and post from an insulin sensitivity standpoint, I am a big fan of having you know, 25 to 30% of your daily carbohydrate intake pre and post workout, I would say in the performance continuum, post workout carbohydrate is the single most important piece, because that is what is going to help you preserve the health of your central nervous system. So remember, when you get into a performance setting, you're immediately getting a rapid rise in cortisol. And you know, when when you're done uh, with that high intensity session, your body doesn't know that the clock hit zero or that you walked out of the gym. It just recognizes that it's still in that fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. And until you have that, uh, you know, that insulin intake or that carbohydrate intake, it doesn't really shut off that nervous system response. And so if you leave cortisol elevated for too long, you begin leveraging far too much of it. You know, you got an inverse cortisol curve. You're waking up with low cortisol, going to go with high cortisol. Uh, you're smashing your adrenal, subsequently your HPA, and really begins leading you down a nasty rabbit hole. So in the performance athlete I'm a very big fan of post-workout carbohydrate and significant concentration. Uh, and then again, the whole caveat to all of this would be, well, what if you train fasted? Then I would be a massive fan of pre-workout liquid carbohydrates. So there are studies that have shown, you know, there's a big movement right now to be using uh, like a cyclic dextrin or a carbolin immediately pre-workout mixed with protein. Um, and there's actually, they, they showed studies that performance improvement was not achieved uh, when doing that in a fed state. So like if you're somebody that trains at noon or three or four or five, you know, having a pre-workout carbohydrate and protein did absolutely nothing um, relative to performance. However, if you were fasted, if you're somebody that trains at like, you know, five in the morning, six in the morning, seven in the morning, um, having that pre-workout high molecular weight carb did actually improve performance. So my morning trainees, I am a big fan of using high molecular weight carbs pre-workout. What about the other sources of carbs that people might dive into? Rice, potatoes, would you say that sure. some work better than others or what would you recommend? I think everybody's going to be a little bit different, right? And so the example I always love to give is sweet potatoes. And I think that largely, you know, even if we went to the paleo crowd, you know, the paleo crowd would be like, oh, sweet potatoes are great. And, and I would agree, like very 
quote unquote healthy um, food. That being said, you give me a sweet potato, I'm instantly bloated and I want to go to sleep. And there's no rhyme or reason other than my individual physiology does not jive with sweet potatoes. So they're not a great pre-workout carbohydrate source for me. You know, I've got some people that do great with them. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, you're, you want to stay from pure sugar. Uh, you know, we're talking at this point like 90 minutes to 120 minutes out. Right? So if you're going with like, let's call it honey, you know, and only honey, right? You had a protein shake and put two tablespoons of honey in your mouth. Um, you're probably going to get a pretty big insulin spike and it's probably going to crash at some point during your workout, which is not going to be advantageous for a quality workout. That being said, I'm sure at least a couple of people listening to this that are like, nope, he's wrong. There's does it work for you? And I think that is ultimately uh, what it comes down to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Do you make any adjustments if somebody works shift work? Oh, man. Um, I try to talk them out of doing it. No. Um, So shift work is like, shift work is one of those things where I, it all depends on what the shift work looks like, first of all. So like the one that immediately comes to mind, my favorite example is I've been working with a firefighter from Vegas for two years now. And he, when he first came to me, had all sorts of hormonal issues. Our first piece was to repair those. And we did that and it took close to a year. Then we went into like actively pursuing fat loss. And we actually only, you know, he does six days on, six days off. And so in his six days off, we believe that is the window of time we can actively pursue fat loss. But when he's working, I don't believe that putting him in a significant deficit is advantageous to fat loss. Even though he may be burning extra calories, the hormonal impact of waking up all throughout the night, not getting enough sleep, all the stress, and trying to work out on top, if I'm putting him in a significant deficit, I don't believe in any way it's going to facilitate long-term fat loss. And so we are relatively aggressive in his six days on, but we are also keeping him as close to maintenance as possible on his six days on. And we've had massive success. Every six days off, we typically see three to four pounds loss. Um, And then every day, you know, every six days while he's working, we typically see maintenance. So, yeah, you know, I would say it depends on the person, right? I mean, if it's just somebody that works, you know, the swing shift, then. I think that that's not overly difficult. We just have to kind of figure out what their daily schedule looks like. I don't make any blanket changes around shift work other than, you know, we still go back to pre-post-workout. We just, what does it look like transitioning from days to nights? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what about somebody who is sleeping for most of the day after they're coming yep. off of something like that? So let's say that it's for that actual day, they're only up for a couple of hours. What do you recommend that they do sure. as that bounce back after? That actually becomes really intuitive. Most people I work with, they tend to eat relatively similar things or at least relative, at least relatively similar sized meals. I would just say, great. Like if you're only awake seven hours, just have one to one to two of those meals. And then when you wake up, you're awake for you know you're you're on your next 24 hour phase. Great, that's when you're tracking again. Go back to your normal diet. You know, and and I've been relatively successful with that. Fortunately for me, uh, I have not had any contest preps that I've had to deal with in that arena. Or I would probably have to become a lot more critical with my thinking. But for the general population that I work with that is actively just pursuing fat loss, that approach has worked fantastic. Awesome. Let's chat about the kick-ass nutrition certifications that you have. So (laughs) I know that we got a few of those, Jason. So why don't you tell us more? Yeah, so... That's really exciting for me. You know, so last year I launched the Nutritional Coaching Institute and it was kind of because I kept getting questions like what books do I read or what certifications do I get? And we all know the the famous like blue hexagon certification and uh, you know, I have mad mad respect for the person that owns that. He is hands down one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, ever read content from. That being said, I was getting a number of people coming to me that had taken that cert saying, "Great, I have all this knowledge, but I don't know what to do with it. And that's a problem. Like, that's as much of a problem as not having the knowledge. 
So when I set out to build a certification, I said, I want to build a cert that not only teaches you what you need to know, but how to actually go out and use it and create change. You know, if you go back to the very first thing I said on this interview, you know, when I was done being anorexic and I went to school, you know, I said, I'm going to pay it forward every single day the rest of my life. And so if I'm going to build a platform that's going to serve as the education platform for the next generation, I need to make sure that the people that graduate from this truly can create impact in this world. And so when we built our cert, it's built on knowledge and application. And so when you come to our course, uh, Level 1 Nutrition Coach, day one, it's science day and, and biology day. And so you come and you learn all the science of dieting, you know, food, nutrition, metabolism, physiology, and then day two, it's application. So it's like, great. Now, all of a sudden, you understand like how food works, how it's processed, you know, what macronutrients are, how to potentially set them up. Now, let me show you how to create success with an individual. You know, what if your client does have metabolic adaptation? What if your client is not compliant? You know, what if your client's a shift worker? All of the things that like textbooks don't necessarily talk about, those are the things that we built on our application day. And, you know, I can, I can happily say I've I've had, you know, registered dietitians come to me and said, hey, I learned more in you from in 48 hours than I did in five years at school. And I've had other, you know, like level two uh, experts come to us and say, you know, I, I finally understand all this knowledge I have and how to apply it. And that just means that, you know, we're doing our job. That's super cool. And so, you know, that's that's our big uh, level one. That's our main cert. We do have extension courses inside of NCI. We have a hormone course a mindset course, a business course, you know, because obviously I believe if you're going to be a nutrition coach, you need to understand all of those things. But our level one is really our flagship and it's the one I'm most proud of. Cool. And where are the certifications? Yeah. So we travel every quarter. They're all available online. So a lot of people that are like, oh, I can't come to one. Um, you can always live stream it. So I do, I do not do the module thing where you like log in, download the modules, go at your own pace. I'm a big believer that I want it to be interactive. Um, you know, even when you come to the course, we give you a book. The book says like this book is not meant to be a standalone book. It is actually used to, it's meant to be used in conjunction with the lecture because you should be engaging in the lecture. And so we're very interactive. So, uh, but I believe this year we have in April, we're in Washington, D.C., July, we're in Northern California, October, we're in Chicago, and November, we're in Las Vegas and Dubai. And again, all of those will be available remotely as well. And when somebody comes, they our test is a little bit different, too. So we don't put you through like 20 or 100 question multiple choice tests. You actually perform two 90-day case studies. So I want to see proficiency in the act of being a nutrition coach. So, you know, you have to show me like, what does your intake form look like? What did you learn from that nutrition or from that intake? How did you create your protocol? Why did you create your protocol that way? What were your interactions like with your clients over the course of 90 days? What did you learn from the client in that interaction? Why did you make certain changes? Those are all documentations you'll be sending to us. Um, and that's really how we assign pass or fail. But it, to me, it, it really demonstrates proficiency in the art of coaching. And that's that's what we certify people in. When you leave, you're level one nutrition coach. You're not nutritionist or anything like that. Awesome. And what inspires you to create the certification? <laughs> um, actually, the man that that connected us, uh, Craig, was was the one that really pushed me. You know, I met Craig, oh goodness, years and years ago. But we reconnected. What are we? Twenty eighteen now, December twenty sixteen. We were at a meeting with John Romanello in Santa Monica, and kind of filled Craig in on the success of the business. And he was like, "Man, like you're just falling short right now." He's like, "You need to go make a certification." He's like, "Because you're really not having the impact that you can have on this world." And that was like a dagger to me. 
um, because mm-hmm. anybody that anybody that does follow me, right, like knows I live by impact over income, and I live by just really wanting to create change in this world. And and so uh, when he challenged me to do that, I like no joke. The next day, I had a six-hour drive home to my house in Arizona, and I drove home. And I, I walked in the door. I didn't even drop my bags. I didn't say hi to anybody. I sat down and I wrote the outline to the course because I was just that fired up. I'm like, I have to create impact in this world. And so, you know, fortunately, seven months later, I had the all the materials written and we launched. And so now we've now we've had over 200 individuals go through it. And I think in 2018, we're expecting about a thousand. So we definitely believe it is the wave of the future. And uh, the success of our clientele is just it's been epic. I've already seen some people doing some amazing things from a change perspective. And that's that's the coolest thing in the world. I love it. Oh, it's so awesome. Very, very cool, Jason. So who's the course good for? Course literally good for anybody. You know, so I've had people that are like, I have one guy coming in April from New York. I just need a career change. And he's like, I'm passionate about health and fitness. Uh, I love what you do. I want to learn your methods. Awesome. You don't have to have any background. Like I said, I also have registered dietitians that have come that they don't, they, you know, they have all this food knowledge that they learned in five years of university yet they have a really difficult time applying it to today's clientele and, and to the real world today. Um, and so, you know, really anybody that's on their journey, but at the end of the day, like anybody that wants to have change, anyone that wants to have, create a long-lasting impact on an individual, you know, one of the things I say repeatedly in the weekend is, you know, if, if my clients can't reference their work with me 20 and 30 years from now and continue to cite that as the reason for their results, then I really didn't do them a, a very good service. I, I believe that we should constantly be educating our clients and giving them all the tools, not that they just need to be successful with us, but um, for, you know, weeks, months, years to come. And, and that's the foundation of everything that I'm trying to get out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that's totally sustainable that they're able to get there and stay there with with a new change in life. So that's amazing, Jason. Now, where do you envision that your companies are going to be in 10 years? Oh, man. You know what? Like, I would love to say that I had an idea and I am a big fan of process oriented goals. So to say that I would know we're going to be in 10 years is, is very mistaken of me. I know what I need to do tomorrow and know what I need to accomplish. I need to reach out to XYZ people. I need to impact every single person I can. And, and that's kind of like the race I get caught up in. I don't get caught up in anything else. Um, I, I would love to say that you know we're the certification that everybody's using and that it has um, you know become the foundation of, of nutritional coaching. That's really the goal with it. But you know that could be 20 years. That could be two years. I really don't know. Um, but I know that if I take the right actions every single day, I know I'll get there. Mm. Awesome. What big projects are you working on right now? Oh, so obviously NCI and growing NCI is my biggest thing. I'm just getting awareness to it. That's the big thing. Outside of that, you know, I am getting ready to launch my mastermind. And so I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of obviously the mastermind setting. I've been a part of Craig's and, and I work with Bedros and Craig and uh, you know, from the business perspective, but uh, you know, I know there's a lot of I know there's a lot of masterminds out there that are not so good. Um, and the one thing I do very well is I simplify very complex tasks. And so, even when it comes to business, you know, people get very overwhelmed and very good at taking somebody, giving them tasks for only two weeks at a time, saying go do X Y Z, come back to me in two weeks, I'll give you the next three tasks. And because of that, I've you know I've created so many six figure earners and. Um, in, in just a year of doing business coaching. And so my mastermind actually opens in April. And so that's kind of a, that's kind of a thing for me. You know, the other thing is, is just, uh, it's just enjoying time with my family, man. Like I, uh, I, I very much allow myself to get caught up in the hustle. Fortunately, so I, I was blessed with a, I I won't say I was blessed with, with a work ethic. I was probably not, 
Uh, but I've developed a work ethic. And because I have a very strong work ethic, I need to pump the brakes sometimes, take a step back. And, and especially with a newborn in the house, I want to embrace every moment of my daughter growing up. And I, I don't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful that you've been able to create a life that allows for that as well versus missing out on so many of those special moments. Oh, I'm so fortunate for that. You know, I think that, you know, one of the best things I've ever accomplished in my life is giving my wife the ability to to not have to work and to, to be a stay-at-home mom and to embrace all of the time with our kids. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud that my daughter is going to grow up with her mother every single day, uh, you know, her mother and father, but, you know, more importantly, her mom being able to to take care of her and for her to not have to go to daycare and things like that. Like, and, and, you know, there's lots of people out there that, that do that. And I have all the respect in the world for it, but I want to spend as much time with my daughter as possible. And I uh, am very proud of the fact that I've been able to do that, not just from a work perspective, but because I've created so much impact. You know, I think it's, it's very gratifying knowing that the reason that we have some of the successes we have is because of the impact we've created. Like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So that actually ties in beautifully to the last question on my podcast. Yeah. So, so uh, Jason Phillips, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, man. There's so many things, right? Um, it's a toughie. It really is. Like, there's so many things, I think. But I, I really, like, so I'll give you, like, personal and professional because there's, sure. there's two things. Professionally speaking, I want to be the person that's known as the guy that changed the way nutrition coaching is done. Um, when I came to the space, I don't think there was anybody delivering the personal level of attention that I'm willing to do. And I actually believe that I have encouraged several others to step their game up and, and to over deliver in the manner in which we have done. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I want 30, 40, 50 years from now for people to look back and, you know, say they've gone through NCI and say they've used the methods that we brought to the space and, and really the, the understanding of individuality on such a greater degree because I think it's become so cliche in the last decade. But, you know, I, I really want people to understand that. So that's that's the professional side of me. You know, I, I do I do want that. Personally speaking, I don't ever want, how do I say this? Like, I'm very much like Gary Vaynerchuk when it comes to this. Like, so, you know, he always says, like, the real key, the real KPI in life is how many people show up to your funeral. I want to be somebody that, that gave so much value that, like, when I do pass, people almost feel indebted. And they feel like they have to show up to my funeral. And, and I don't ever want anything until that day. I don't ever want people to pay me. I don't ever want people to um, praise me. I don't, I don't want anything else. I just want them to take what I am willing to give. I want them to be willing to ask. And then, you know, the KPI becomes that they, they feel indebted to it. But, you know, I want to deliver more value than any other person in this world. And, and if you've spent time with me, you know, I take that super seriously. You know, we to give you an example, you know, I sent out a, an email blast on Wednesday of last week, you know, the morning my daughter was born. And I think I had something like 600 plus replies. And I just spent time all weekend personally replying to everyone and thanking them and letting them know how much they mean. And that the fact that they you know took the time to not only read my email, but send a reply, like that means the world to me. And I, I need I need people to understand that. So that, those are my those are my metrics. Mm, that's awesome. It's very easy to stand out in an online space where a lot of people don't provide value to that degree. I think that that's why you so true. Like there are so many bad coaches out there that just. <laughs> 
They're like, it's, it's really unfortunate to be honest, but people will sign up with them and then like, they won't even respond to an email or they'll like take their money and won't even give them programming for like a month and just all that kind of crap. And it's really unfortunate that so much of our fitness space is clouded with people that are either at that level or they get too busy because they're too popular on their Instagram that they don't respond to anybody, in which case it's like, you look great, but what kind of impact are you having? Amen. Amen. You know, and I think part of like the, you know, the, the professional goal is like, you know, if, if we've done our job properly, you know, when people are using our methods, I actually think that will naturally eradicate all of the poor coaching. Mm-hmm. Because if people are using my method, a method that is predicated on connection and on communication and on actually giving a shit, creating impact, then the poor coaching goes out the window because they won't just they, they just won't be able to exist. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be so many great coaches out there that the poor coaches will get recognized and they'll be run out and they can go, uh, you know, they can go steal somebody's money in a different industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's great. Well, that's it on my side of things, Jason. Thanks so much. I am very, very grateful that you took the time to connect with me. And uh, this was a ton of fun. I am so glad that uh, that you were able to be flexible with me. I know we were supposed to do this last week, right when my daughter was born. And so I I really appreciate you kind of uh, working with me on the timing and and on, uh, you know, rescheduling, but definitely so grateful just to to allow me to, to get this voice out to some of your followers. I know you're doing amazing things and, and super grateful to Craig for connecting with us. And, you know, the one thing I always like to do at the end of podcasts is, is you know, I want to say thanks to you um, because you're the one taking time out of your schedule to bring guests together, to create content, to give a platform to all the people that listen to your podcast, to ascertain information, and to give them what they need to move forward on their journey. And, you know, even if I can be a very small part of that, I am so grateful and humbled to people like yourself that are doing that. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Jason. I uh, hope you get some extra snuggles with that lovely daughter of yours. Oh, that's this what I'm going evening. to do right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, thanks again. You have yourself a great evening. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh my goodness, guys, how much did you love all of that information? What an amazing, amazing man. I just love everything that Jason's about. He's such a giver and just comes right from the heart. I love that he's out there making an impact one person at a time. His headspace is in such a good place, although he is incredibly successful. He's so down to earth and just a really smart guy. So, Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to head on over to iTunes and let me know what you think. Either leave a review or a rating, which will help other people discover the podcast, get the information out to more people, and touch more lives. So, headed to the Arnolds tomorrow. Hope to see some of you guys there. This is my first time at the Arnolds, so I'm super, super pumped. I grew up watching it on TV, so to actually be going has me pretty pumped. Get to meet my coach in person. Actually, we've met before, but we get to hang out, and I get to meet other pro physique athletes. My friend Courtney's also coming, so I'm super pumped about that. Get to hang out with her. She's midway through pregnancy, so it's going to be super awesome to talk about everything pregnancy related and yeah that's it for today guys thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next time